You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we began to discuss the epistle to the Galatians. That is, the Apostle Paul is writing to the baptized in Galatia. Now, as you recall, we began to make some theological distinctions. In fact, the art of theology is all about making the proper distinctions. Of course, what we did is we made a distinction between active righteousness on the one hand, which is a righteousness through works of the law. It is an achieved righteousness that you do. On the other hand, we talked about the passive righteousness, which is a received righteousness, a gift given. It is the righteousness of Jesus that is imputed to us by faith. Now, with that distinction, we can clearly understand in the Scripture, when we're talking about the act of achieved righteousness, what you are supposed to do according to the works of the law, versus the passive received righteousness by faith, which is in the realm of the conscience before God, that we stand before God as justified. We have the righteousness of Jesus by faith before the sight of God. Now, we also made a distinction between the understanding of having a divine call and not having a divine call. So, for instance, those who are sent by men or sent from men, we shall say, are those who do not have a divine call. It is the will of their own hearts. It is their own minds or the minds of others who think it's a good idea. Thus, those who are sent from men do not have a divine call. This is not the voice of God that sends them and places them into the preaching office. Now, on the other hand, those who do have a divine call, the voice of God has spoken, calling this individual man into the office. Now, either that divine call is done in a mediated way. This is what we see today when a man is placed into the preaching office after being trained and examined by the church, the church then places the man in the office by ordaining him and then installing him. And through the voice of the church, the voice of God is heard. This is a divine call. It is a mediated call. Now, on the other hand, there is the divine call that is directly by God. So Moses at the burning bush was called by God directly, without a mediation of a congregation. But instead, it was the voice of God who directly was present with Moses at the burning bush, calling him into the preaching office. Likewise, the Apostle Paul has this divine call, not mediated through the voice of the congregation or the church, but instead directly from the resurrected Christ himself. Now, again, we are just reviewing what we discussed in our last lecture. 
the art of theology is in the distinctions that are properly made of theological matters. All right, now we're ready to get back into the text of the letter to the baptized in Galatia. And once again, let's start at verse 1. Paul, a sent one, not from men, nor through a man, but rather through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him out of the dead. And we want to pause right there and we want to make this clear understanding that when Paul is addressing the Galatians, the issue at hand is standing in the doctrine of justification. Justification through faith alone in Christ alone. For Jesus justifies. And so when we talk about Jesus as the one who is raised by the Father out of the dead, this takes us to Romans chapter 4, where Paul is discussing this whole article of justification with Abraham, that Abraham himself was called by God. Of course, Abraham was called by God to faith, given the promise directly from the voice of God, that Abraham saw God. Of course, nobody sees God, but we know that everybody in the Old Testament who saw God saw the only begotten God, that is, the second person of the Holy Trinity, that is, Jesus himself pre-incarnate. The Christ came and appeared to Abraham, calling him to faith. Now again, before we get too far, we want to make this clear distinction in theological terms, that there is a call to faith, and there's also a call into a preaching office. Now, of course, Abraham himself was both called into faith and also called into the preaching office, so that he preaches this promised message of the Christ, the seed that would crush the serpent's head, born of the virgin, that in this seed all the nations would be blessed. Now, Abraham believes this message, so he's called to faith, and his faith is reckoned, that is, imputed to him as righteousness. And that goes back to Genesis chapter 15. So here we're talking about the call of Abraham to faith. Now again, we want to make a distinction that all the baptized have been called by God to faith in Christ Jesus. Thus, all the baptized are priests before God. Jesus, of course, being the high priest, the true high priest who stands before the Father. And so as priest, we have the access to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit, being justified by faith. And we have access to pray in the name of Jesus, to pray with Jesus, and therefore we can pray for others. But that's the call of baptism, bringing us into this holy priesthood, the holy people of God. And so, when Paul discusses justification in Romans chapter 4, he's talking about that call of Abraham to faith, that Abraham is the one who heard the promise and he believed. Now, what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 4 is talking about this call to faith. And so, he notes that the belief, the trust that Abraham had in the promise, it was credited to him as righteousness that it was reckoned, it was imputed to him as righteousness. 
Of course, in Romans chapter 4, Paul will note that this was written down for us. It wasn't written down for Abraham per se. It was written down for posterity's sake, just like all the scriptures, so that we can be certain and sure about the promises of God, that the righteousness of the gospel is a received passive righteousness. It is received by faith. It is the righteousness of Christ that is given to us as a gift. And so, therefore, Paul will go on and he will say in Romans chapter 4 that it was written down for our sake so that those who would believe in the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, they would also then rejoice in this voice of God calling them to faith. In fact, Paul will end on the note saying that Jesus was handed over for our trespasses and he was raised up again for our justification. Now, the reason why we're going into all this detail about Romans chapter 4 is it puts everything into perspective in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. That when Paul is called as a sent one, as an apostle to preach this message, he specifically talks about being called through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him out of the dead. So then when we talk about the bodily resurrection of Jesus, we are talking about the doctrine of justification. That Jesus died for our sin, but he rose again so that he can stand as the one mediator between God and man. That his work on the cross is finished. He is the atoning sacrifice. He satisfied the law perfectly, obedient unto death, and then he died for our sin. But it didn't stop there. He rose again so that he could continue to be our high priest, our mediator who continues to give us the good gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith, the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the gift of adoption as sons by grace, and of course, the gift of eternal life. So all of this is packed in that first verse right there, where Paul is making a distinction about his call to be an apostle. Now again, Everyone who is baptized have been, has been called to faith, belonging to God. But not all the baptized have been called into the preaching office, especially the apostolic office. So that Paul was called through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him out of the dead. And then he goes on in Galatians chapter 1. So we're going back to Galatians now. <laughs> so in Galatians chapter 1, when he starts off and says, Paul, comma, there's kind of this, this whole note of this clarification that he is an apostle. He's a sent one directly by Jesus. And then he goes back in verse 2 and says, Paul and all the brothers with me to the congregations of Galatia. Now, when Paul is writing to the congregations, he's writing to those who have been called out of this darkened, corrupted world into the light and the kingdom of the Son. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls, gathers, and enlightens us with his gifts. And the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps us in the true faith. 
So when Paul is talking about the congregations, these are the ones who have been congregated, that God has gathered them, God has assembled them, so that they would continue to stand before God through Jesus Christ, having access to the Father in the Holy Spirit. That God gathers us to be before his promised presence in word and sacrament where the gospel is heard, where the gospel is eaten and drank, and the gospel is received in the waters of holy baptism. That this is where the Holy Spirit continues to work as he calls and gathers the people of God to continue to hear the good news, the message of the Messiah, who satisfied the law completely and fully in our stead, who died the atoning death for our sin, and who rose again to continue to be our high priest and mediator, because we continue to need the forgiveness of sins in this life as we wait for the life to come. Okay, so here in verse 1 and verse 2 of this first chapter of Galatians, we see this distinction being made between Paul, who has been called to preach the gospel. He's a preacher of the good news in this preaching office. And on the other hand, you have the distinction of those who have been called to faith, the body of believers. That's the congregation, the assembly that God has assembled to hear this word and to rejoice in the voice of Jesus, the living voice of Jesus. So yes, all the baptized are called to faith, but not all the baptized are called to be ministers, preachers of this message in the preaching office. So we have this whole distinction being laid out for us right here in the very first two verses of Galatians chapter 1. Now we move on to verse 3 favor for you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to pause right here and notice that I said favor for you. Now, usually, typically, when you read Galatians, you'll see that the Greek is translated as grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I intentionally want you to see the understanding of grace is God's favor for the sake of Christ. Grace is not some abstract concept or some type of a substance that's infused into you like a steroid that enables you to actively achieve your own righteousness before God. No, not at all. Grace is not something that just enables you to do what you cannot do. Instead, grace rightly understood theologically is favor with God for the sake of Jesus. Again, we need Jesus. We cannot earn or merit eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, or God's favor by what we do. We needed one who would do the things that we can't do. We need Jesus, and we continue to need him in this life. And so, Paul wants to set our eyes on Jesus, the one who is the atoning sacrifice and the one who continues to be our high priest, the mediator, so that by his works, by his person, 
we have now obtained favor with God. So being justified by faith, we now have peace. Now notice again what Paul is doing. is He's saying we have favor. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. We have salvation. We have the inheritance as the adopted sons of God in the kingdom where Christ is king. And all of this is for the sake of Christ, because of what he's done. And then this gives to us peace in the conscience. Now, with these two words, we want to understand clearly what the entire Reformation was all about. Now, Martin Luther, the blessed reformer, he didn't want to start a new church. He was reforming what had become deformed in the time of the Middle Ages. Where the proper understanding of Jesus was lost, the gospel light was snuffed out and hidden. Instead, the view of Jesus or the image of Jesus was he was a wrathful judge that is here to judge us according to his righteousness. Of course, if we're judged by the righteousness of Jesus, we will all fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. This would not be good news at all if we were judged according to the perfect righteousness of Jesus. But instead, what Luther wanted is that we would see Jesus properly as he is and what he does and what he has done. That he's not to be seen primarily as this angry judge that has come to destroy us because we are sinners. Rather, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our sin rests on him. Now, he is both the atoning sacrifice and the high priest. So this gives glory to Jesus for who he is and what he does. What he has come to do to accomplish for us salvation. Jesus gained for us the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting salvation. He merited by his work these things. So it was gained on the cross in his life, in his atoning sacrifice, and then it is given and distributed to us now in the word and sacraments through the absolution, the proclamation of Jesus, the good news that he has satisfied the demands of the law, and he has taken our wickedness upon himself being handed over for our transgressions, and that he gives us freely his righteousness as a gift, a passive received righteousness that is received by those who believe, who trust in him in this promise of salvation. That Jesus is the one who has gained for us favor, and that now he gives this favor to us in this life. But in the time of the Reformation, this whole view of Jesus, this whole image of Jesus was obscured. Instead, the people of God were taught to run to other mediators to hide from the wrath of Jesus. Instead of going directly to Jesus, who is the one mediator with God the Father. Instead, they were taught to look elsewhere, either look within or find your favorite saint and set up your saint as a mediator before the wrath of God. So what was happening in the Middle Ages is the glory of Jesus was being robbed. 
Jesus himself was being robbed of this glory and honor that's properly due his name, and it was given to others, either other saints, ultimately the Virgin Mary, or to the individual person in trying to achieve this merit of God's favor by works. And Luther comes and he wants to restore once again the proper image of God, giving all glory to the person and work of Jesus. So number one, giving all honor to Jesus. Number two, therefore then, giving comfort to the terrified conscience. That is peace. So when we talk about favor for you and peace from God our Father, that this is the gospel message, that Jesus has won this for you. He has merited forgiveness and eternal life and salvation. And now he grants peace in the conscience before God. So that we understand when our conscience condemns us because of our own sin, our conscience measuring what we have done but never done fully or completely, it terrifies us. It accuses us. It condemns us because we do not measure up to the perfect righteousness of God. But yet the gospel message itself is what gives the conscience this relief and rest, that the gospel message resets the conscience to look to Jesus as the one who rules and reigns over the conscience, the one who is the king of the conscience. He is the prince of peace. He's the one who gives peace to the conscience that we now stand before God, and we are now in God's favor, all for the sake of his son Jesus, our Savior. Now, that's the whole message of the Reformation. Glory to Jesus for what he's done, and that's the favor, winning for us the forgiveness of sins, and then bringing peace to the conscience, comforting those who are terrified and recognize their own guilt because of their lack of fulfilling the demands of the law. Now, not only did the medieval church rob Jesus of his glory, it was also robbing the individual Christians of this true comfort, and instead peddling different forms of a false, artificial, man-made system of trying to appease the needs of the conscience, whether it be the plenary indulgences that Luther began to debate against, or any of these other forms of ways of trying to merit God's favor by these actions or by joining a monastic order. Now again, look at these first three verses of the letter to the baptized in Galatia. Notice that what Paul is doing is he's right away cutting to the chase and saying, the whole preaching office is about preaching Christ and him crucified. That it's about justification, the doctrine that is given for you, that Jesus was raised for your justification. All of this is about the good news that Paul was sent to preach. So he talks about the father who raised Jesus out of the dead, and then now he's assuring those who hear this word, the congregation in Galatia, that they now have favor. It's a gift. They now have peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then in verse 4, he goes on to say this, Who gave himself for our sins? Now again, notice this distinction that's being made here, that the Father is the one who raised him out of the dead. So now Jesus stands as the high priest, the mediator before the Father for us. And Jesus is the one who gave himself for our sins. Now we're going to want to track this theme throughout the entire letter to the Galatians. That God is the one who does these great things for us. So it's not just an abstract idea that there's a creator who has done things in creation somewhere, but in particular, the true God, the living God. He is the one who gives life. It's his action, and then it's his gift. So God is the one who gives. We are those who receive these gifts from God in faith and thanksgiving. So again, notice that the Father is the one who raised Jesus out of the dead for our benefit, so that we would have a high priest for our justification. And then the Father did not die for our sin, but in particular, it's Jesus who took upon flesh and blood, who became man for us sinners and for our salvation. He came down from heaven in order to do what we could not do, perfectly satisfying all the demands of the law, both doing what the law requires and abstaining from what the law forbids. He alone is the Holy One. He alone is the one who is righteous. And now he's the one who then gave himself for our sins. This whole language of a gift, this is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus does. He gives himself to us. He gave himself on the cross so that our sins would be nailed to the cross. And then he gives himself for us now so that we understand our sins do not belong to us, but they belong to him. And so here's what Paul says, verses 3 and 4. Favor for you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us out of the evil age that is set in place according to the will of God our Father. Then in verse 5, to whom is the glory into the ages of the ages. Amen. Now, this is the introduction to the entire epistle, all six chapters. But you can already see in these first five verses that Paul will cut to the chase and say that here's the issue at hand, the doctrine of justification. The works of the law cannot justify us before the sight of God. Jesus justifies. Likewise, the works of the law cannot sanctify us before God. The Spirit sanctifies. This is all gift language. That God is giving this good gift that he's calling us out of sin 
in this evil age, the present corrupted creation, so that we could be his holy people, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And this is the will of God the Father. The Father loves us, and therefore he sent forth his Son, his only begotten Son, so that he would die this atoning sacrifice in our stead, and he would rise again for our justification. Now, this is the message of the true gospel. The false gospel that was being peddled by the false apostles was this idea that, well, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, rose again, but now it's up to you to achieve righteousness in God's sight. Thus, Paul must rebuke this false doctrine. So the gospel message is for you. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has been raised for your justification. So the emphasis is on the person and work of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.